Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Price of Victory. So turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 to 24, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Managing What is Given. When we read today's text, we're going to find a very telling and key verse, and that's found in 2 Corinthians 8.21. You know, Paul's been collecting money to take care of an important need in Jerusalem, but in verse 21, speaking about how to handle the offering that's coming in, he says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. You know, he's talking about being as transparent as he can be when it comes to the administration of the money that he's been entrusted with. He's talking about accountability, and as we will see, he's not only being open about the budget, but he's including others in the administration of the money that's being collected. And that's called financial accountability. It also means that those who are overseeing the giving of others must be free from accusation. It means that those who give have the confidence that their money is going for the very things they gave it for. It means that those who are overseeing the gift are held to the highest levels of integrity as they deal with something that is not theirs. You know, a number of years ago in a certain church, there was a group of men who had become the count team for the offering that came in on Sunday mornings. And it is an important practice that no single individual can be entrusted with counting the Sunday morning offering. And I would argue that the counting should be done in a team, people who oversee one another. Well, at any rate, this team had an understanding. You know, it was a Canadian church, and whenever they found an American bill in the offering, they pocketed it and exchanged it for a Canadian bill, which, as we know, has a, has a lower valuation. They also were good at spotting rare coins and exchanged them for others. And furthermore, they had a practice of writing a check, let's say it was for $100, putting it into the offering, and then taking out $100 in cash. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I strongly suspect they were claiming that $100 check as a tax exemption for their giving. You know, this team argued they were doing no harm, but they were. You know, they were treating the offering as if it was their own. And of course, it was unethical. It was dishonorable. And if it had been discovered, I'm fairly sure that giving would have been substantially down in that church and for good reason. Here's something else I found. I know of one church that frequently hides what the money goes for. See, they have a committee that's unknown to the congregation. Their budget, the one the congregation sees, is not as transparent as it should be. Clearly an audit is called for. Now, I mention these abuses not because they're normal or usual. You know, I found that by far, most Christian organizations and churches strive very hard to be open and accountable to their donors. They see themselves in partnership for the good of the gospel. They invite transparency because they value it. And today, as we study this text, we'll see that that Paul also values it. And more so, we're going to look at some very important principles about what transparency actually looks like. Those who give and those who administer the gift must be a part of one team with the same goals. You know, in demonstrating his transparency, Paul will speak of three ministry partners. The first one is Titus, and the other two, although, you know, they were known to the Corinthians, are not known to us today. But each of these three tells us something about transparency and giving. So let's start with the first one, 
Titus. You know, he speaks to us of this truth, that the one receiving the funds deeply loves the givers. And it is that love for the ones giving that gives assurance that the funds will not be abused. So let's read 2 Corinthians 8, 16 and 17. But thanks be to God who puts into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. We have to remember here that Titus was a key ministry partner of Paul. Titus had a key role in bringing about the revival that occurred in Corinth. Titus had properly presented Paul's teachings, and he seems to have convinced the Corinthians that they were in the wrong when they had opposed Paul. Lovingly, he had led them to repentance. And then Titus played another role. You want to go back to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 6, where it says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Well, the act of grace was the act of giving, and to be more precise, the giving to the cause of the Jerusalem saints. So Titus played the key role in going to the Corinthians and encouraging them to follow through on their commitment to give. And it turns out Titus was eager to carry out this role. He was happy to go to the Corinthian Christians and to urge them to dig down deep and to give to the cause. You know, Paul didn't have to urge Titus to do this. He did it on his own. But it is, above all things, Titus' motivation that is key here. Look back one more time at verse 16. Paul says that God put something vital into Titus' heart. God did it, says Paul. Titus feels the same earnest care for you as I have. He's deeply concerned for your spiritual well-being. His heart rejoices every time he sees you advancing in your faith. He was deeply involved in your lives when you repented. He looks for every opportunity to be with you. In short, God has moved this man's heart to love you. Love when it's genuine, is concerned with the welfare of the other. Paul calls it earnest care. You know, it's one word in the Greek, and it means he's willing to expend energy and effort for them, to give himself to them. In short, whatever happens in Corinth, Titus cares about that. It's his first and foremost among the things that capture his attention and energy. You know, we need to pause here and consider how precious that attitude is. Titus doesn't see the Corinthians as a cash cow ready to be milked. He's concerned for the spiritual well-being of the donors. Now, that's the first principle Paul lays out for financial accountability. I don't see you as givers. I see you as fellow disciples of Jesus for whom I care. So let's move to the second principle, and it's a principle that will take some time to unravel. And the second principle is that the donors are actively involved in the gift. Don't just give and walk away. They themselves have a vested interest in what's given. Remember, I said that all three of the principles we will consider deal with three different people. Titus represents the love between the giver and the person who gives. The second person, whom we're going to simply call the famous preacher, well, he's the one who represents a partnership between the giver and the administration of the gift. So let's start this section by reading 2 Corinthians 8, 18 and 19. With him, that is with Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. 
Now, we don't know who that famous preacher was, but clearly, by simply calling him the famous preacher, it seems that the Corinthians must have immediately said, ah, yeah, we do know who he is. You know, a number of people suggest that it might have been Apollos. Well, that's because Acts 18.24 calls him a man who was eloquent and competent in the scriptures. And, you know, that might be right. Other suggestions have been made, ranging from Luke to Barnabas to Timothy, even to John Mark. But in fact, we simply don't know who Paul's referring to. But there's something we do know. And when we think about it, it's rather remarkable. Paul said that this famous preacher had been appointed by the churches to carry out that role. That's to say, it was not a plan that Paul had initiated. The churches who were involved in this project had appointed this man to play a key role. That is, since Paul had initiated the project, they must have had a congregational vote of some sort to appoint this man alongside of Paul. Now, you might wonder, I mean, did this happen because they didn't trust Paul? But I don't think trusting Paul was the issue. The issue was that in administering this gift, that there be more than one person doing it. And as an aside, you know, I as a pastor always had a policy regarding offering money. I never touched the stuff. You know, frequently someone would approach me after a service and say, you know, I forgot, you know, to hand in my offering. Can I give it to you right now? And I would always answer in the same way. No, I never touch the offering money. When it's given, it goes immediately to the count team, never to one individual. I think it's an important principle. No one person should ever be charged with overseeing funds. Now, Paul goes one step further. You know, this famous preacher now travels along with them. He will no doubt accompany Titus to Corinth, but he will also accompany Paul and the team as the gift gets distributed in Jerusalem. That's to say, the representative from the churches will be there and then go back to the churches and give a report on exactly how the money was used, who received it, where it was applied, and so forth. In other words, he's going to report back down to the details as to how their money, given to the point of sacrifice, was being used. I can't even begin to stress the wisdom of what we're reading in the Scripture. Money decisions made by a few without the oversight of others is foolhardy. Paul understood that well, took action to remain beyond reproach. Your prayers and financial contributions are critical to our ministry. Back to the Bible Canada is funded solely by donations from people like you, our listeners. A critical group that sustains our Bible teaching program is our monthly partners. These friends of the ministry provide a stable foundation of support. So we thank them and present you the opportunity to join them today. Our monthly partner program called the 1119 Fellowship helps ensure that trustworthy teaching is available throughout Canada in creative ways so that the gospel is easily found and heard by anyone seeking it. By belonging to the 1119 Fellowship, you become part of a nationwide community committed to sharing trustworthy Bible teaching, ensuring that truth, wisdom, joy, and hope can be found for anyone searching for God. To learn more about the program and the unique benefits of becoming a member, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship. We viewed Paul's accountability in money matters through the lens of two important people. 
The example of Titus teaches us that it's not just about the money, it never was. It was always about relationship. The example of the unnamed famous preacher reminds us that when dealing with large offerings, it's never sufficient to have just one individual administering the gift. Accountability to the local church is not just an ideal, it's mandatory. Money distributed without accountability almost always leads to abuse, and Paul would have none of it. But in relationship to the second item, accountability, Paul's not yet done. So let's continue reading in our 2 Corinthians text, and here I'm reading 2 Corinthians 8, 20-21. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Now, some of us might wonder about this. You know, I've heard some Christians say foolish things like, I'm only accountable to God, not to man. They tend to liken accountability to man as some kind of an unsavory compromise. And for them, this matter that in some fashion, the churches who supported this special giving project should actually have some kind of a vote and imposed on the Apostle Paul, a famous preacher who would then accompany him. Well, that that seems like interference to them. You know, from their perspective, they wouldn't have put up with that. You know, Paul's approach is very different. Paul is quite aware how his dealings with finances might disqualify him from effective ministry. Let's do a brief study of his attitudes from his dealings in Corinth. Start with 1 Corinthians 9.18. What then is my reward, he says, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? And that's to say, look, I have a right to a salary, but realizing how sensitive that matter is in Corinth, I didn't make use of that right. I did it for appearance's sake. And that's what he seems to say. Now go to 2 Corinthians 2.17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak of Christ. Now, you've got to contrast Paul's attitude to the clear motivation of some so-called televangelists who have homes that are actually massive estates, and they have numerous other homes and private jets and yachts and so many of the trappings of wealth. You know, putting aside their justification for such outrageous salaries, which, you know, as you know, is a part of their theology, but, you know, putting that matter aside, is it not clear that these men and women are peddlers of the word of God. That is, their preaching is their product that's making them wealthy. And Paul knows what kind of an offense that is to the non-Christian mind, and might I say, rightly so. He's saying, I'm accountable before God if my use of money causes someone to stumble. And by the way, I'm not making an argument here against paying your pastor a good and even generous salary. But I am arguing against obscene salaries, which lead to the sure impression that this is a money-making enterprise. And that goes not just for televangelists, it also goes for local churches. Having a healthy church budget should not be the cause of spending everything on self. Transparency in the use of finances means that every person in the church is fully aware where the money is going and that the money is going for such things as, you know, gospel proclamation, care for the poor, opportunity to deal with those needs the gospel mandates. It does matter what other people think or what they see. No secrets, no selfishness. And Paul's aware that improper use of finances destroys ministries, harms the reputation of Christ. 
And that's why he says they took the course they did. They not only allowed the churches to appoint their representative on this project, but that Paul actually welcomed it. He didn't want anyone to blame him, he says. He's concerned with appearances. And then he tells us why. If I were to put verse 21 in my own words, I think I would say Paul aims to do the right thing, right before God, right before men. A number of Bible teachers point out that Paul is most likely alluding to a passage from Proverbs, quite specifically Proverbs 3, verses 3 to 4. That passage says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. It does matter what people think of you. You know, when Paul gives Timothy the charge to select elders in the local church, he sets before Timothy a number of descriptors as to what kind of a person he should look for. 1 Timothy 3.7 says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Yeah, says Paul. It does matter what outsiders think of an elder. Do they think he's a bully? Do they think he might be a shady businessman who's sued and ruined his competitors? Or do outsiders think he mistreats and disrespects women? Well, you know, we could go on and on. Having a reputation of integrity serves the gospel. Having the opposite reputation is the devil's tool to prevent people from listening to the glories of Christ who died for them. So much is at stake here. That's why today, when we hear of pastors or Christian leaders falling into sexual sin, what happens? Well, it disgraces them. Well, that's true enough. But it also disgraces the cause of Christ. And it's not just about sex, is it? Money also matters. One more thing before we move on. You know, you might have noticed that in verse 20, Paul speaks of the gift that is being administered by us. But he also uses that same word back in verse 19, Well, the ESV says simply ministered by us. But in the Greek, it's the same word. Administration is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's Paul saying we can't just raise money. No, there's more. In fact, the actual process, the details of the management actually matter. All right, let's move on. Paul's using three men as an example. The first was Titus and of the love and the concern that he had for the one giving. The second is the example of the famous preacher, and of the appearance of doing the right thing. Openness and accountability demanded of those giving and receiving. Now we move to the third principle, and it deals with an earnest brother or a brother known for his passion for the cause of Christ. So let's read 2 Corinthians 8, 22 to 24. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you and these men. Now you can read this and quickly see that Paul has quite a list of associates and ministry partners. You know, I remember once reading a secular book which described Paul as a loner. You don't have to read the letters of Paul for very long to just see how untrue that statement is. Indeed, one's left wondering if he was ever alone. He's constantly surrounded by ministry colleagues as well as young men whom he's training. And so one of these young men is a man that Paul doesn't name. 
He's talked about Titus and then the famous preacher, but now he mentions another brother that will accompany these two men to Corinth. And I'm, I'm assuming the people at Corinth don't know him, but they might, and they soon will. And Paul says, when he comes, please understand that this young man has often been tested. That's to say, you know, I'm introducing a third man to you, so let me vouch for him. I and others have been very carefully watching him, and we can testify He's a serious and passionate believer who has heard of you, and he's going to serve you well. You can trust him. And it's here that we see a third principle when it comes to giving. Paul wants the believers in Corinth to know that when it comes to dealings with money, the circle is not shrinking, it's growing. There's room for others to serve in this vital area of administering funds for believers. It's a vital area of ministry, and so it must include an ever-growing group of people. And so Paul gives a brief review of the men he's sending to Corinth. Titus is his partner and fellow worker. The other brothers are messengers of the churches, meaning that, you know, they've been sent by churches to come and fellowship with and partner together with believers in Corinth. But in verse 24, that must have really captured the attention of the believers in Corinth. Paul says, give these brothers proof of your love. The eyes of all the churches are on you, says Paul. We've done all that we can to ensure that the funds you contribute are being handled well. And so with the rest of the believers waiting, now's the time for you to step to the plate. And that's a lesson for all of us. You know, it's one thing to be suspicious that the funds of the donors are not being used wisely. And it's not out of order to ask questions. But what happens when all the questions are sufficiently answered? What if the answers are given and assurance is given that the funds are handled properly? Will you then give sacrificially, or are you simply a career critic? It takes nothing to be a critic. Any fool can do that. It takes earnestness and zeal and commitment to Christ to give sacrificially. Step to the plate. Thanks so much, John. You know, I think there is a stewardship to giving, isn't there? What, what we give, whether the church or charity or even back to the Bible Canada, there's a high standard for those that receive gifts and a trust. Yeah, I think uh, we want to we be sure because eventually everyone who receives gifts uh, in whatever organization, a local church, uh, in a ministry such as this one is, we recognize that in the final day, what has been entrusted to us, we are accountable before God, but we also seek to be accountable before men. That's why, you know, a board and accountability is required of everyone who's in a ministry like this, and we want to make sure that we do so openly. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Price of Victory, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. past year, I've taken the opportunity to author a new book entitled Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, in this day and age, I can't imagine a more important topic as it provides insight into the essential benefits of your salvation and in so doing provides a message of hope and joy so needed in challenging days. I think it's true to say that many of us walk through our daily journey with Christ uncertain of really all that he's done for us through his death and resurrection. You know, we question and we struggle because we don't understand the breadth of what Jesus has provided for his people. Ten key benefits I'll share, including our adoption, the Holy Spirit, and our assurance. 
I want you to know all that your salvation provides. So for the month of February, Back to the Bible Canada is offering to send you my new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation for free, just for asking. So request your copy today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.